This guy is Caucasian, medium build, about six foot two. He opens his right eye, looks around, then turns his gaze towards me, opens his other eye, and he has this look, has this look on, him, on his face which says, I'm going to fucking kill you. Where the hell were you? I have to take you back a few steps. I'm in Sydney Airport, International Airport, about to board a flight to head to Toronto to visit my partner's relatives. Sitting in the, uh, the waiting lounge or the gate, there's a couple of kids next to me. One's about 10 and one's 12. At what age are kids too old to be wearing their pyjamas out in public? Four. These kids are in their pyjamas and their rug boots. And I just think, oh, wow. It's getting a little old to be wearing the pyjamas and the uh, dressing gown. It's blurring the private and public. Just, it's too much. It's like, you know, it's like my usual lament about people wearing Ugg boots and pyjamas to the cinema. We, we've lost that distinction between the private <laughs> between and the public. So I'm looking around the waiting, the, the gate, waiting lounge, and you, I sort of go into this noticing people to think now, I wonder who I'm going to be sat next to, because I'm flying solo. There's probably, say, 400 people in the waiting lounge. But you're looking around You're going... scanning. You're scanning and thinking, hmm. and all you're doing is perhaps ruling out a few possibilities and thinking, I hope it's not you. <laughs> I hope it's not you. So heading down in, into the plane along the, uh, the boarding tunnel, it's very kind of 1980s aesthetic as you, as you walk down, Get, into the, get onto the plane. The passport paranoia is finally at ease. Like that fear of losing the passport. You just, I can't it stop checking it. You, I can't it? stop yeah. checking it. Yeah. It's like, God, it's there, it's there, it's there, but I keep checking it. And I think when you're going on a big overseas trip, you, you, when you hit the plane, you actually start to relax. There's always a bit of packing to go on and a bit of stress, wrapping up work and all those sort of things. So it's a bit of relief once you hit the plane and you think... I'm not going to miss the plane. Because there's a hell of a lot of labour that's gone into just getting to that point. Well, I've, my last two trips, due, due to um, delays, um, weather, it's a flight that roughly should take about 24, 24 hours to get there all up. And the last two times it's taken over 60 hours and over 45 hours. So I've had delays, I've missed flights, I've had all sorts of balls up. So I'm very happy just to be making the flight. <laughs> Straight away, though, as I walk onto the plane, I'm just hit by socioeconomic status. Right. First one is I'm very middle class because I'm flying overseas. Yes. In the, in the first instance. Acknowledging your privilege there. Walking through first class. Sometimes you turn off to the left to go through to first class. And other times you walk you through it. You have to it. walk through it. There's something about walking through first class. They're not making a lot of eye contact. They've boarded first. That's the first privilege of being in there. They've boarded. They've been given the, the uh, glass of champagne. And they're doing something. They're not really wanting to look at these people heading towards heading towards economy. So they make very little eye contact. And what's really happening is you've just got a temporary right of way through their part of the plane. Yeah. It's like a shared access where we're going to let you board using our aisle, but once the plane takes off, you're not going to be allowed back in here. We'll just let you walk through here yes. and see what you're missing out on, what you could have been. And is it, is it a moment to sort of reflect on your, your failure as a human being that you haven't reached the lofty, lofty heights of, of first class? Well, what is, is, is there sort of class shame? Uh, not, not from you, but from the, you know, you mentioned that they, they don't sort of really look you in the eye. But I wonder if there is, as someone who's never experienced first no. class, I wonder if there's that 
sense of kind of guilt or uh, well, well you don't you don't have to walk through like a, a really nice hotel room to get to your shitty hotel room do you <laughs> It's not put on display. It's like, oh, this is what you're not having. Not having, yeah. And you're, and you're slowly going to walk through things, progressively getting worse. The chili's <laughs> getting worse. Yes. But when I look at the pricing to fly first class, so I looked at uh, if I was to go again uh, this weekend on the same flight, this is going from Sydney to Vancouver, then Vancouver to Toronto, uh, in economy, it would cost me $2,514. I like how they've added now premium economy, uh-huh. which is about $5,000. Business class, $8,044 for the same return flight. Wow. First class. How much do you think it would cost for a first class? Booked at short notice, admittedly. Oh, well, twelve. $21,016. Wow. What are you getting for that? Well, on the Qantas website, it tells you that you are getting unsurpassed luxury. <laughs> and you'd want to be, wouldn't you? I've read a few things about what you're actually getting first class and what people love about it. You can be chauffeur-driven. You can be collected and taken to you, from your hotel to the airport. You've got access to the first-class lounge, which obviously offers, offers a wide range of amazing facilities. Yes. You're first on and first off mm-hmm. the plane, which is so uh, what, beneficial. You, you gain 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. You can also get a pass to go through customs a little quicker too as well, on international flights, okay. which could be useful. It could be very useful. The seats swivel. Mm-hmm. You get uh, an amenities bag. You get a packet of pyjamas. Um, you obviously get uh, exquisite food and drink mm-hmm. and a lot of service. Yeah, every, every, everything's catered for. You've also got space, space. In, increased space. So in first class, you've got the equivalent of four seats wide. Yeah. And two in front of, of an economy-sized. Oh, I can just, I'm feeling myself just relaxing. So you're that. paying eighteen thousand five hundred and two dollars more than what I'm be paying in economy. What is the the trip time? Uh, it is fourteen, a little over fourteen hours from Sydney to Vancouver. And have you done the math on what that is per hour? It's about a thousand dollars an hour. So the equivalent is that I can sit in my seat. And if I had the choice to fly first class or not, I can sit in my seat and every hour someone comes up and gives me $1,000. Yeah. Because at the end of the flight, that's, that's, how, that's how much I would have left. I also found out that I could buy a 1978 Piper Tomahawk single-engine plane <laughs> for $18,500 if I decided not to fly first class. Instead of flying first class. As opposed to economy. Is there... <laughs> why do people pay that? I realise there's the comfort and the real benefit they're getting is the ability to lie down on the flight. That's really... Sleep the, is highly valued to some people. One night's sleep, though. One you night's sleep. You can't go without one night's, one night's lying down sleep. So is there something about, you know, the way we consume? Do you think that they, the people in first class, are trying to show something? Does the Qantas website mention, and you get a bucket load of social status with this? Well, people would talk about it, I would think, because people would say, oh, you're jet lagged. It's like, oh, no. First class. Or the pointy end of the plane, as it's described. Uh-huh. They're trying to differentiate themselves, do you think, at all, with the consumption? Well, there's that classic link between consumption, 
social status and identity, isn't there? You know, this idea in a, in a consumer world, the, the products and goods and services that we consume and how we go about consuming them is important to kind of articulating a sense of who we are and what we stand for. And, and the idea is that there's been this kind of shift from a kind of modern industrial kind of society where identity was wrapped up more around work and employment and now in our kind of leisure service-based society it's more based around consumption and obviously there's been huge class changes in access to travel um, and to airplane travel in particular in the you know maybe 40 50 years ago travel was something that was only limited to the wealthy and to the affluent. So we've seen this kind of democratisation, I think, of um, flight travel. And maybe in that climate, there's a greater anxiety about differentiating yourself from others. Like in a world where we can all travel... Because it used to be just good enough to say, "Oh, I'm going on, I'm going on an airplane, and Ooh. I'm and I'm going for my holiday, and I'm travelling to." Well, in the Australian context, if you live in the southern states, it was you know you might be travelling to Queensland, or you know, and, and an international trip was completely at the top. Mm. So, in a world where that's now available to so many, perhaps the first class experience, or the business class, or the premium economy experience becomes more important because it is this way of saying, uh, of differentiating yourself um, from the group. So, yeah. And a lot of people are using points as well. There's the, the whole point system that they're using to upgrade and those things. So perhaps no one's ever actually paying that full price. And business class, same thing. Lots of regular travellers who travel and need to be slept like i can see there's reasons why for some increased comfort it's just a matter of how far you take that and is it for me to judge how they spend their money because i haven't got that choice it would be interesting to look at the incomes of the first class travelers like is it someone you know is it average joe blogs who's saved up for a long time for a for an overseas trip and they want to go first. <laughs> I hope not. I hope not. I mean... Buy yourself the Cessna instead. It buys yeah. a, it's a better economic yes. decision. Yes. At this point, I've moved through first class. Thanks, guys, for letting me walk through. Yep. Uh, Just give them a wave, down. a nod. On the plane, though, you've got that line pressure coming from behind. So you're scanning, looking for your seat oh, as yeah. you're walking along, but you've got the whole line coming behind you, and particularly on long-haul flights... Everyone wants to get themselves organised. Yep. Get themselves organised. So I, I reach, I reach my, arrive at my seat, and then you've got the situation where you've got one foot in the aisle and one foot sort of in the seat, and you're trying to put your things up into the overhead locker, oh. and it's like, do you let people pass? And people breathing down your neck. There's the smell of kind of like a, a wet couch sort of smell on a plane that's been deodorised. It doesn't smell bad, but it feels like it's been... Mm. Do you have trouble differentiating? It's a little bit like a dry cleaner's. It does a bit, doesn't it? Yeah. And the slight hum of the engines in the background as well. A, a very faint perfumed kind of smell. Mm, mm, something. You, sorry, do you struggle between the aisle and the window seat looking at the little labels? Everybody, everybody does. Yeah. No one understands it. Thank you for saying that because I I thought yes. it was because of some sort of general cognitive no, issue. I think I, some, I think sometimes on some planes it's really clear. On it, other, other planes it is not clear. It, it's not clear. It's not clear. No. So I'm... Um, Sort of straddle, I've got one leg in the aisle. It's kind of like 
and I'm reaching around putting things up and you've got to make those decisions on those long haul flights about what you take down and what you bring down into your little seating area. So I'm trying to make I'm trying to make that decision. I'm going with pillow, book, something to write in, and headphones and a jumper and water. I'm taking out of my bag that's going in the overhead locker to bring down into my little seat pocket. So you're asking yourself, what are my necessities for the next, next 20 40, hours? Yeah, for, roughly for, it was the first one's for, yeah, a bit over 14 hours. 14. What am I going to need? Yeah. The ironic thing is I can just get up during the flight and get stuff out, but for some reason it feels like this decision has to be right. And you have to get it right. What is essential to my plane what, what, survival? What do, I, what do I have to get? Yeah. What, what, where do you put them as well? Like the sort of the placement? On uh, how you deal with it. Because what are you paying for? When you're on a flight, you sit down, you're actually paying, you're paying seat hire, mm. aren't you? You're hiring this little cubicle, this little space for the for the duration of the flight and obviously you get transported over there. Yeah. And anything that you bring into that little space is less room to move. Yes. So it's a trade off. It is. You don't want too much in there, but then you don't want to have to get up too often to get to your bag, especially if there's sleeping That's a whole other passages. So I'm sitting there and I take the aisle seat because I like that because I can stretch my legs out. Um, and the seat next to me is, is vacant, the middle seat. Whoa. So I say hello to the person on the on the window. That's a, that's a score. And it's just kind of nodding like, like we've. This is good. This is good. This is this is good, and uh, and then I'm on I'm on lookout. I'm like a lifeguard at the beach after a shark sighting. I'm looking <laughs> around to see is anyone coming going to sit in this seat. Yeah, so I was going to say you'd be. They're walking past me. No, 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 no. And I'm also on the lookout for one other thing, which on international flight is crucial: babies. I'm looking around for babies because sleep is the premium. For some reason, it just becomes so, so important about the idea of how am I going to get sleep on this flight. I Fear just, of jet lag. I could just see you looking around for babies. babies. So I look ahead two aisles up. There's not a baby. Twins. Oh. The mum and the dad both holding twins and they're nursing them. And I'm thinking, fucking nursing them now. Yeah, it's not going to be that. <laughs> this oh, is going to be beautiful. pretty. They're lovely and they're grinning and smiling and people are cooing. Oh, look at the twins. And I'm thinking, it's not going to be like that when they're screaming in the no. middle of the night after no. you've just fallen asleep. Remove the twins. Eventually a girl does come and she sits in the, she sits in the middle seat. Oh. So I, I let her through. Moving out all my stuff. And she and, had a baby. No, she didn't have a baby. She, and, she, and she sat down. <laughs> she sits down and I rebuckle up and I get my feet back in and my knees and everything sorted. And then I realise that I've forgotten the headphones. Ooh. So then I get, I have to get up, get them out of the bag again. And then I think, I wonder what other people are thinking yeah. around me. I reckon the people around me are thinking, nightmare. That, that, so this guy, travel nightmare. He's a nightmare. Can't get his shit together. Can't, no. Can't get his possessions in order. He's going to be up and down all flight. And we're in such close proximity, aren't you, on a flight? Suddenly you're creating this little social world where for the next, or on this first leg, for the next 14 hours we're going to share uh, the temperature, we're going to share the light, which is controlled by other people. Yeah. We're going to eat food at the. We're going to eat food at the same time. We're going to sleep next to each other. We're going to socialise and do recreation with all these strangers while we're hurtling through the air. It's a strange social interaction. Which reminds me, when you sat down, yes, and there was that acknowledgement 
to the, your fellow traveller that you might have potentially had a spare mm. middle seat. You lost it. I'm hiding the disappointment. You're hiding the disappointment. But was there a point where you were like, oh, mate, do I talk? Do I engage? Because what happens if they're a talker? Well, and that's the fear. That's the great fear. There's the, there's the fear of your space, mm. but it's also fear that you're not going to want to interact for very long with that person that you end up being stuck next to. Mm. I go to the initial introduction. Hi, how are you going? Introduce myself to the other person who's on the seat. Yes. Small talk for about... Handshake? Yep. Wow. Shook it up. Formal. Uh, you know, three or four minutes. But see, on planes, you've got the great conversation ender, which is the headphones. Uh, Everyone starts groping around, putting in the headphones, where it's very clear socially, conversation. I'm not available. Yeah. I'm reminded of a great sociologist, Gorg Zimmel, who talked about how in modern city environments, how we develop these elaborate strategies to block out the stranger. Mm. And he called it the blasé attitude. And it was the idea that to deal with the kind of excitement and uh, excessive stimulation of the city and the excess of strangers, um, all these people that we don't know but so physically close to us, that we develop these strategies. And the, and the one that he talked about was the eye gaze, so that you don't, you don't make eye contact. And, you know, we see this beautifully enacted in across so many different spaces, whether it be on the airplane, whether it be on the bus, whether it be on a tram, um, and how we're in f- close physical proximity to strangers, but at the same time we're able to create this psychological distance. So it's interesting that the the headphone is kind of like a, a contemporary way of doing this blasé attitude of, of like blocking out and signalling to others that, that you're not available, even though you're literally touching something. So you're 20 centimetres yeah. away. Yeah, yeah. And I always justify it to myself and by saying my self-talk is that uh, they don't want to talk to me either. <laughs> so then headphones are in, choosing the movie. I find that what movie or TV or thing to watch on the flight, on the, on the back? Built-in screen on the seat built-in or laptop. screen. It's very 1990s, the built-in screen. It is. And <laughs> the guy who said, look, what we'll do is we'll build them in. These are never going to go out of style. Yeah. The screen's into the back of the... Genius! The yeah. So modern. Yeah. And I'm always surprised by how much I'm influenced by the other screens around me. I start choosing things and I'm subtly picking up other people's movies and other people's... Series, I'm thinking, how are they, how are they watching that? And I'm pressing buttons on the Where's screen. Where's that movie? The menu system is is unbelievably awkward. Awkward. Yes. Um, and also, as the flight um, progresses, it's like some people are watching pretty, you know, explicit sex scenes in their movie. There's nothing but no protection for children on planes. It's like the movies, whatever it's, you know, and rated. You start... But the kids are sitting right there looking at it. And you start matching up um, who's watching certain things, like. Oh, I didn't think you would be watching. You don't strike that. me as you a don't... person who would have that sort of sense of humour. Yeah. So I've made the cho- I've made the choice. I think I went for a series to start off with something like not to be of a commitment. By the fifth interruption, as the captain speaks, it's like you start watching interruption. It all stops. First couple of times. By the fifth time, it's like oh, I just want I to just, watch my series. I, I just want to watch it. This is your captain speaking, and of course, the captain was male. Globally, the amount of female pilots is four to five percent. It's been a really slow industry to 
develop equity with that and the amount of the amount of females, and then of course the service side of the of the flight is dominated by females. Is this beautiful gendered performance going on? There used to be a belief, and this fed into lots of different occupations, that. Um, women couldn't perform certain occupations or roles and one of them was flying a plane because they are inherently irrational and too emotional um, to be able to do something like fly a plane. Which we know is not true, but I was feeling pretty irrational by the interruptions. (laughs) (laughs) You've been so sort of hyper-social. You know, you're in that stranger environment in the the gate, the waiting lanes, the airport, on the plane and... There's just this need to perhaps shut down a little bit, try to, like you're saying, trying to block out strangers. At any one time, there is a little over 1.2 million people in the air on average in planes. Wow. There's 9,720 planes on average in the air at any one time. It's an amazing amount of people who are flying. It's the same experience that I'm going through. They're all experiencing the issue of that your height suddenly matters. <laughs> Suddenly you're in this place where how tall you are and how much space you take up affects your comfort level, which I'm sure it does in, in everyday life. Not just height too, body size. Body size, width. width yeah. Um, but, yeah, because you've only got your seat. You've only got, you've only got the space of, your, space of your seat, which has been slowly being reduced by airlines because the, the, smaller, the smaller the seat space, the more seats they can fit, which means the more punters they can have flying and obviously the development of the budget airline they have taken that to the next level in terms of just cramming in seats right yeah and the smallest is um 71 centimeters so it's measured it's called seat pitch in the airline what is it seat pitch seat pitch it goes from the back of your seat right to the back of the seat in front of you that's the distance which is measured okay and so it goes down to, to 71 centimeters on some domestic flights on most international flights, it's 19, uh, 79 centimetres. Right. And you have between 43 and 46 centimetres width. I am six foot two, so I'm right on that edge of where, I, where it can, it's manageable, but it's, it feels really tight. And it's interesting that there's no uh, variation for size or height, is there? It's just of, the, um, the one world, size fits all. The world is designed around the average person. What do you think the average height of an Australian male is? 5'11"? No. 5'9"? Mm. Yes. Ah. How tall are you? 5'11"? Hmm. See, I see myself as very average. Very average. Yeah. Absolutely, or a little under 5'11". Do you think? Me? Yeah. You're saying I'm shorter than what I think? No, I just think there's perhaps issues around self-reporting with height. <laughs> People, men, I don't know about women, tend to exaggerate their exaggerate height. There their is height. social status around height, isn't there? Being taller? Being, well... You know, tall, tall dark, handsome. Tall's always sort of um, purported to be part of being appealing or aesthetically pleasing. Uh, more appealing and, and for people who are small there's, there's short jokes which are you know are often not pleasant based on people's height yep. uh, small man syndrome yeah. is referred to a fair bit as well as a sort of biological essentialist explanation of why short people uh, short men in particular are prone to more aggressive behaviour yes that is a dictionary definition and there's, and there's research which says that with uh, more height comes more income really um, 
a correlation. A correlation between between the two. Also with CEOs, Malcolm Gladwell in Blink said uh, there's an unconscious bias towards height. So we don't deliberately say, oh, I'm not going to give you the job because you're shorter. But uh, CEOs, for instance, and uh, CEOs in Fortune 500 companies... What, tend to be taller? Yeah, there's, there's a disproportionate amount over six foot. Up to six, nearly 60% are over six foot tall. In US elections, the last 29 US elections, only eight times has the smaller person won the election. Um, it's also cultured height as well. In the Philippines, the average height of a male is 163 centimetres, which is 12 centimetres shorter than the average What's Australian. What's that, five, six, six. Or something? And women's 150 centimetres. Um, the Australian um, female average height is 163 centimetres. So that's five foot four inches. So the, the that's women, the average. That's the average. So the Australian female average height is the same as the average height of the Filipino male which is the five foot four. Now, when we talk about height, it really comes down to expressing your genetic potential. So things that affect height are your body's ability or your genetic potential to grow to a certain height, then also nutrition, health um, services affect your ability to express your full potential. So there's these social and cultural dimensions to whether you actually become the height that you're genetically possibly could become. Yes, there's also the thing about being tall as well. Once you hit sort of six foot six, six foot five, six foot six, tall, tall. the world becomes incredibly uncomfortable for you. Beds, getting in cars, doorways. And it's when height becomes the first thing that you notice about somebody. When, when someone is really tall, if they're, say, six foot six or six foot seven, it's like, whoa, you're tall. You're really tall. And tall people get sick of people saying that because they know. Yeah, they've heard it before. Yeah. It's like, wow, you're tall. You're not into the tall, tall. No. You don't get that no. first thing. No, not at all. But I, because I played basketball where, where height is seen as a premium, yeah. all I wanted to do was grow. Yeah. And people often say that I talk myself into growing because I was quite small and I just wanted to grow taller. And every night you'd say to yourself, grow taller. 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 Be taller. But now that I've I, you know, finished that, I'm glad I'm not any taller because it'd just be a pain in the ass. and at the moment being the height that I am is inconvenient enough on the plane at this point I've put the moves on we've taken off we've also had the hostess check our seatbelts before we take off as well that you've got them on yeah it's like you're on a primary primary school bus isn't it isn't there just a bit of liberalism here it's like look I will choose (laughs) whether I wear the seatbelt or not Uh, there's a light on too there's a a seatbelt light and there's a no smoking light yeah it's like, yeah, they're the two biggest safety concerns on this flight. On this? <laughs> they're the core issues that we need to be concerned about. And I bet you we, Boeing wishes they hadn't integrated those those panels in quite so hard because I reckon they'd like to change them. Yes. <laughs> Along with the things which describe whether it's an aisle seat or a, a window seat. About two hours into the flight, food comes around. The old the food tray. It's amazing how... Controlled, you feel straight away on a flight where you start salivating like well, Pavlov's yeah, the smell, dog. the smell it does. It's a, it's a smell of coffee. You smell the coffee from when they start making the coffee down the back. It's like, oh, food's coming soon. And you hear the sound. I know. It's you like hear, institutional. You hear the light. sound. So yeah, hear the sound of the trolleys, and everything's like a, a chip packet that's been shrunk in the oven. Everything comes. <laughs> I remember smaller. that. That's a, a good image. Everything's been shrunk. 
isn't it? The thing, you're in a small space, you're using tiny little spoons, tiny little cups and my elbow, trying to keep your elbows in. Or containing yourself physically. You yes. don't touch the person next to yes. you more than you need to. Yes. Have you had the situation where you've ever sat in a seat and the armrest is up between you? Yes. How does armrest protocol work? Going from the window seat out. So the person on the window seat, they have the right, they put their left arm on the armrest. If you're in the middle, what are your what are your armrest rights? <laughs> well, you don't have a lot of control, do you? Depends on the person. Or uh, are you assertive with the armrest? Do you put your arm down and say, "This is it"? I I sometimes get a bit assertive with the armrest. I also get a little bit assertive with um, the the use that with the the lower leg, and the how some people will you know encroach into your space with, with their legs and and with the arm on the armrest as well. Mm. And I kind of, some, this also happens at other, like if you're at a sporting event mm. or a concert or something as well, and you just sort of subtly push back. And I feel that men are the worst offenders with this. They Because the way they sit, they tend to occupy space. You know, there's those classic mm. comparisons between men and women. Man-spreading. Man-spreading occupying the space, taking it all up, whereas um, uh, young girls are taught, you know, to be uh, smaller. smaller and It's never discussed, though, those things, is it? If someone's you never, never like, excuse me, that's my armrest. <laughs> no, that's, that's all right. Can you move your arm off the armrest, please? No, it's just these very... It, it just push, little subtle, or, or if they slip off for half a second, boom. You take it. Just little microaggressions. It just is. Just taking some control of the little bit of space that you have. So that brings up the big flying question. At what point, once you've taken off, do you put the seat back? At what point? Oh. When, how soon's too soon? I don't know if we can go there. I go there. I pull the trigger as fast as possible. Do you? Basically, once we've sort of oh. well, started to bang, I'm done. You're in. I'm going back. You drop. Well, I need the. Well, I feel like I've got just. I just feel like I need more you space. Need I'm space. feeling very cramped. Yeah. Oh, and I must. My just. As soon as I see it go back, you just. Asshole. You go, fuck. This guy's going to be an asshole. Yeah. He's fucked around with his headphones. He yeah. can't sit still. He's put his seat back. Seat back. This, mm-hmm. is, this guy's a flying nightmare. <laughs> after I've eaten. After, after I've eaten the meal. Then first I, meal. First meal. And. Really focused on trying to avoid jet lag. Do you have a drink? Alcoholic? Uh, no, I don't, no, I don't have alcoholic drink, no. Do you? Sometimes. I might have a little glass of wine just to relax, knock back a few um, Xanax just to chill out. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it. And do they work well for you? Uh, yeah, they worked well on my last long haul. Well, because jet lag, uh, some of the symptoms of jet lag... Uh, include anxiety, constipation, diarrhoea, confusion, nausea, and indigestion, and finally sweating. It's pretty much death. <laughs> You'd be sweating after all those things, wouldn't you? Yeah. It's it's something you want to avoid, and it's based on the amount of time zones that you go through. So the fear of uh, jet lag is, is something you. It's I think it's real. Well, you just don't want to be. You don't want to be having those feelings. And quite well, jet often, lag is definitely real. You want to have a, you know, especially if you're going on a short holiday. You don't want to be feeling jet lag for the first half of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's based on the amount of time zones you go, and, and the research says that you can adjust one to two time zones a day that you're away. So okay. how many time zones you're going across affect how long it takes your circadian rhythms to adjust to the local time. Because okay. jet lag is just the difference between your internal body clock and the actual time. And the actual time. 
There's a not more poetic description I remember from... Uh, not saying that wasn't really poetic. No, it's kind of sciencey. Mm. But there's a nice um, description by a character in a William Gibson novel called Pattern Recognition. And the lead character, Case, I think her name is, and she does a lot of travel in this um, book. <laughs> this better be good. It's not. <laughs> Keep going. Because you're saying like a complete toss, tosser and I hope it's very... Well, making literary references. Well, I just did details in there. Yes, keep going, keep going. Okay, what I... Sh- it, it's like when jet lag is... Your body is projected into space, but you've left your soul behind. Like you, you're physically somewhere, but you've left your soul behind. Something like that. Unfortunately, that is quite good. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, catching up. I don't think I've described that quite right, but it was. I always thought that was a really nice, um, nice description. Spasmodic sleeping, waking, kind of half dazed. Mm. You reach that point mid-flight where you kind of wake up and the lights are turned down, and there's people sort of half passed out, half figures all all over the place, and you've got to go to the toilet. So I've got my shoes off at this point. Something I would regret. I can never get those lights about the toilet either when they're engaged or when they're not engaged, and I can't really see it from my seat. Yes. So you, so you walk down there and you're just looking at these people like mouths agape and 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 masks pulled down or, or people sort of you know staring at you, just, just staring kind of in, in, in your space. At you. Yeah. It's a really weird time and space, and you're feeling weird because you're kind of half asleep. You get to the place where you're outside the toilet and, and it's often, there's a queue, there's people waiting there and you're standing in the, the in front of the big exit doors and you're in like a semicircle. And it's one of those moments where it's like, no one wants to talk because they're busting to go to the toilet. Yeah. But you're all kind of stuck there. And then someone comes along at that point and stands at the front of the line. Oh. At this point, my, bra- my brain is ready to explode. No, they understand that they're at the back of the line, but the, but it was too full. The uh, oh. the semicircle's too full, and they've just so they walked to, to the front, which walk. is right to the toilet. And then another person comes, and they're sort of like, "Oh, what's going on?" And it's just this point's just all a bit too much. Yep, this is cabin fever material. Yeah, yeah. Working work your way through the line, people going to the toilet, and when you're the last person in line, you have that point where they open the door, and you just sort of have that eye to eye contact. They're lit up like a Christmas tree because the lights are on brightly in the the toilet and you're in the darkened cabin and sometimes you get that look where they're where they're sort of saying mm, sorry about that yeah oh it's oh. and what do you say no worries i'm just having to go to the toilet because i'm so busting so i get into the toilet into another super tiny micro space they must be getting smaller i get into the toilet and there's liquid on the on the floor. So straight away... You is it piss? Well, is you, it water? You assume, you assume, is it shampoo? Well, your first thought is that it's, it, that it's, that it's piss. That's what, you, that's what you assume straight away. Yeah. So that's why I'm regretting the decision to be in socks. And oh, like, what, oh, my why, why, why What were you thinking? Why didn't I put shoes on? Next thing, I'm standing there like a, like a dog with its, with its leg up, up, up on the side wall, trying to, to not tread in the piss on the floor, <laughs> trying to urinate. And the whole time, you've got these sort of spectators... Waiting outside. <laughs> they're, 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 they're a metre away from you. You go to the toilet. Then as soon as you press that suction, that... <laughs> on the toilet, you know the line outside knows, you know, that, you're, you, that you're coming out. And there's still that childhood moment slash fear that that toilet is just, like, going to suck you, you down and spit plane. you out of the plane. 
as you're trying to pump up and down on the the, the, the car, it's, 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 just, it's like a caravan. It's like a 1980s caravan where, yeah. you, where you're pushing the pump back pushing and forth yeah. or a portaloo, yeah. and then you open up that door, which has kind of got about five joins in it. Yes, it's like yeah, yeah, out. yeah, yeah. And then even though I, you know, hadn't done anything too bad in the toilet, it's still that kind of raised eyebrows. Mm. Sorry. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's still lingering from the other person, and now you're getting the the, the death stares for the the stench emanating. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you're walking back down the aisle, and you start, and you're passing people the neck pillow, which I which I do like, but I'm not sure about walking around with it on. <laughs> there's it's quite not a, a there's great quite a few people walking around with yeah. the neck pillow on, with sort of like Ralph Lauren designer neck pillows. Some people. There's mm-hmm. also the great Aussie ability to underdress too on, on flights. It's like, yeah, we take it to the next level. Or it's like, some, you know, someone might say, well, yeah, no, 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 you can't wear those. You've got to wear those good tracky ducks that you got for Christmas from Honey Sharon. Well, this is this thing about the changing nature of the status of flying where it used to be a special event mm. and it used to be something you dress up for. Yes. But as it becomes more some people accessible... Still do. I do, mm. but I do it so I can try and get an upgrade. Right, because you look better. And then I end up just last time wearing being overdressed my... and uncover- uncomfortable in your tight jeans. Thanks for that. So uncomfortable. <laughs> and your boots. In my new boots, yeah. where I got to Abu Dhabi and I had to walk a long <laughs> way, and I just just like limping my way there because I had so many blisters. <laughs> <laughs> Never again. Yeah. So I wear trackies and moccasins from now on. And as I'm heading back to my seat, I do think it's like a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> when you look around, there's hundreds of people staring at these screens and some of them have gone hazy, some are black, and everyone's just sort of sitting with headphones on. <laughs> Sucked of life and spirit, yes. aren't they? Yeah. And they're just in pure survival mode. So I make it back to my seat. I'm on the aisle, and prior to that point, the other people had been pretty good getting up and going. The t- not too bad. This girl next to me, over the last sort of six hours of the flight, had to go, went to the toilet or left her seat probably five times. In so, a short period of over time. Over six hours. So every time I'd nod off, excuse me, first time, it's like, yeah, no worries. By about the fourth time, it's like, hmm. <laughs> 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 yep, sure, no worries. And sometimes they have the ability to, to drag your stuff with them too. So it's like that person comes out from the, the, Still the middle seat the and it's like they've got the next thing, your headphones are about halfway down the aisle and you're yeah, just pushing yeah, the and there. Yeah, yeah. So this girl does this, so I don't get any sleep. I really get interrupted oh. all the time. Land in Vancouver, uh, have like a one and a half hour layover, layover there. There's very little instruction sometimes on international flights. It's yeah. like, do I get my bags? What do I do? I Wander around. Make your, yeah. make it, you kind of really, you got to really yep. survive, you know, sort yourself out. Yep. Um, Make it through there, Vancouver. Get back on the flight. I'm in the same seat to go from Vancouver to for Toronto, which is another four, you know, four and a half hours. So this stage, I'm really, really keen to get some sleep. So much better getting the bag put away. Got to clear, make sure yep. I've got the headphones. strategy. Yeah. Sitting down. I'm, I think I had a f- eye mask as well that might have been left or was there. Whack that on as well. Yeah. Neck pillow, I'm not messing around. You stepped it up. Flight takes off. Tip, tip. This guy's all about seat the sleep. Back. I need to get some sleep. I reckon seat we're about 20 minutes into the flight and I get this tap on the shoulder. And it's like I wake up and, and, I, and I look at the lady and it's the air hostess. She goes, excuse me. Yes. Would, You're snoring. Would you mind, oh, I'm sure I was. Would you mind changing seats? Oh. Because this lady on the back wants to sit next to her husband. 
And there's that moment of about five, you know, <laughs> five or ten seconds where everything inside me is screaming, no. No. Okay. So then I get up and unpack all my stuff off the, out of the seat, I get my backpack down, put all my things in it, and the, and the lady, the wife who's, who's organised this seat transition for you know, her husband is there and she's sort of nodding and it's like, yeah, no worries. And then the, the hostess leads me around to the exit row, which has a lot more space. The exit row behind the bulkhead where there's like about a metre space before your feet get to the bulkhead, you know, in the exit row there. How long was this flight? Four and a half hours. Could the husband and wife not bear to be parted for four hours? I'm pretty sure the husband was okay because as we come around, <laughs> as we come around, so it's the wife, the hostess and me, the husband who's sitting in the middle, uh, is about three people, two people on either side of him, is dead to the world. <laughs> Absolutely dead to the world. He, meanwhile, his sleep has not been interrupted. Well, he's got plenty of room. And suddenly I'm feeling jubilant. Ah, this has worked out well. Uh, yeah, because all of a sudden I realise I'm going to get a shitload more space. Ah. I had no idea this was going to happen. Hostess taps the guy on the shoulder. He opens one eye, looks around, looks at her, looks at me like, I'm going to fucking kill you. (laughs) And it's like, don't blame me. You married her. She's standing there. She's like, little wave, I've organised for you to come and sit back with me. He's just fuming on the inside. He, he, he doesn't really give much away, but you can just tell he was just asleep. He didn't want to sit next to the wife. No, he was just asleep. He was comfortable in the exit row and he was completely blissed out. And next thing he's been woken up and being moved back down into economy to sit next to his wife. <sighs> he gets up. I slip in next to the seat, put my feet out, fall asleep beautifully. And when you finally land and you hear those beautiful words, disarm doors and cross-check... You've arrived at your destination. I've arrived. And I still get jet lag for the next six days. 